Hey, this is Christian Golden. Welcome to our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message encourages you. I hope it builds you up. Enjoy the message. I want to be the first to tell you, or the second to tell you, because uh, Gabe beat me to the punch this morning. Merry Christmas. Um, and I say Christmas, not Xmas, because I like to keep the Christ in Christmas. And yes, and not happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Christ is Christ, and Moss means more, so more Christmas, more Christ. And that's what we're, here, we're, we're talking about today. Um, but just so you know, this is my first ever Christmas message as a pastor, so if you don't like it, then I get a get out of free jail free card and I get to try it again next year, okay? So don't shout me down, all right? Um, but I'm excited about the message. And so my original message that I had written was titled, Jesus vs. Santa, The Ultimate Showdown. And I had been studying and researching and seeing all this stuff that's been going on with Christmas and all the negativity that's come with it. And... And it was a good message, but you know, it had a lot of heat behind it, and I just, uh, yeah, it did, and I spoke to uh, Rabbi Ron about this message, and he said, be careful that I don't take on the attitude that everybody else is taking on, and and let the message come out in a bad way. So after uh, the wise counsel, I I decided to change the message, so thank you, Rabbi, for your counsel. I appreciate it very much, Um, and it worked out. And it's a great message, but I want to highlight some of the things I was going to mention. Um, And in in the message, I had seven things that I was going to do a compare and contrast with of Jesus and Santa. And it worked out that both Jesus and Santa each won three of the battles. There were seven battles that they were going to be fighting with, you know, duking it out. Santa won three, and Jesus won three. And one of the, for example, when it, one of the ones that Santa Claus won was when it comes to photo opportunities. Who won that? Who wins the battle? Well, obviously, it's Santa Claus. So, you know, I've never seen parents stand in line at a nativity scene for hours to take pictures with baby Jesus. So Santa would win that one. And that was just one of the ones, you know, that I wanted to talk about. And, but I think it's very neat when you go to the mall and you stand in line to get pictures with Santa that they strategically place this magical candy kingdom right next to Santa Claus. And we always say the same thing. If you don't be quiet and smile for your pictures, you're not going to get no candy. And they do that. It's a marketing strategy, and it's pretty interesting. I wish I owned that that candy store there. Um, So obviously Santa won the battle. And with Santa and Jesus both tied with three wins each, I had Jesus down to win the final battle, which made him the winner because he is the greatest gift that was ever given. So ultimately, Jesus won the showdown between Jesus and Santa. Yeah, I know it's weird talking about Santa, but it, you know, it's the world we live in. But one of the things that I had purpose to do in this sermon that I had wrote was to not paint a picture of Christmas as being evil, because so many people do, and so many people draw out all the negative things about Christmas. And I really did a lot of research, and I went all the way back to the winter solstice. It was a moment in the earth's tilt that causes the shortest day and the longest day of the year. Pagans celebrate this as the year is reborn. 
Then I went to St. Nicholas, who was a bishop who lived in the 4th century, and what I discovered was that every nation or sect of people have their own version of Christmas. And as we celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th, so many other countries celebrate their gods on December 25th as well. So what I discovered was that a lot of what Christmas is all about is pagan to its core, but it's not all bad. And I want to point that out. Like, uh, you know, so let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater, as Paul Golden used to say. Take what's good and, and, and holy and let's, you know, focus on them things. But I also purpose to not call people who celebrate Christmas pagan or idol worshipers because that, will, that aggravates me beyond any means that we will stand up here and call people that have a Christmas tree and celebrate Christmas pagans, but yet we're going to lie to our kids and tell them to believe Jesus was born on December 25th when we know good and well he was not. That's just my opinion. And... I purposed that I was not going to call people that. Um, when I was growing up, we didn't celebrate Christmas. And I'm not uh, talking bad about the Jehovah's Witness in any way, but they don't believe in celebrating Christmas at all, or birthdays, or a lot of uh, celebrations that we celebrate. So growing up as a Jehovah's Witness, also as a Mormon, my mom was Jehovah's Witness, my dad was Mormon, so I was really confused. We did not celebrate Christmas. And then I, what I realized as I got older, that it was more of, they liked this religion because they could use it when they didn't have any money. And that's what it ultimately panned out to be, because once they got a little money, it was okay to have Christmas. So I didn't really have, I don't have Christmas memories. The Christmas memories I have are sad, you know, coming to school. My son come home the other day, and he said, Daddy, there's a, a boy in my class that he can't celebrate Christmas. And it broke my heart, because I used to be that boy. You know, I, w I would have to sit in the library why these kids had candy and talked about, you know, candy canes and all the fun stuff. And, and it was tough. And I just told him, I said, Matthew, not everybody believes in that, but you make sure you be nice to this boy and you hug him and you tell him it's okay, you know. And one day when he grows older, he's going to, the boy will figure out the truth for himself. And so let me ask you a question. How many of you in here right now worship Santa Claus? Okay, just checking. Let me see your hands. Don't be shy. <laughs> so we got the, the peanut gallery in the back. They all raised their hands. <laughs> so let me ask you another serious question. How many of you in here this morning worship Jesus Christ? See, amen. Amen, isn't that right? So I want to be clear, and I want to go on record to say everybody that's listening across this globe that we do not worship Santa. But if you're convicted in your spirit, if you're convicted in your spirit that Christmas is wrong, then don't celebrate it. We support you in that all the way. But please, don't judge me because I do. At my house, we have a Christmas tree. We put up a Christmas tree every year. And it was a hand-me-down Christmas tree that was a, a fake one, obviously, and it was going to be thrown out. And then my wife got it from her best friend, and now her best friend wants it, and now Emily's not ready to give it up. But we celebrate Christmas, and, we, and one of the traditions that we have is, in our family is that we bring out all the ornaments, and the tradition that started when Emily was born, her grandmother bought her an ornament, and every year that she was a, at Christmas, her grandmother and parents would buy her another ornament. So Emily has 20 ornaments, right? <laughs> I'm not going to call you old, babe. 
Good save. So Emily has a lot of ornaments every year from the time she was born, and we started that same tradition with our children where we buy them an ornament every year, except for Dad. Dad doesn't get ornaments. Dad gets to put the star on the top. And then, then we decorate the tree, and we, sometimes we listen to songs, and sometimes we don't, and it's just a fun time you know, that we do. And we hang all the ornaments together, and, and sometimes, you know, I'll get out and put up lights. Emily asks me all year to put up lights, and most times I don't do it, but, you know, I probably should, just because my bride asked me to. And under our tree, you're going to find gifts from Santa Claus, and you're going to find gifts from Mommy and Daddy. And, you know, it is what it is. And can you even believe, I just could not believe that we had this pesky little elf show up on December 1st. Do you believe that? So one day we had to uh, move the elf with the kids in the house because it was obviously they were fixing to touch it. And by the way, I thought about touching that elf in front of them just to see their reaction and get it on video because it would have been a meltdown, right? So I went over there and I grabbed the kitchen tongs like any good dad would do, the barbecue tongs, and I went over and I grabbed the elf and my hand started shaking, and Sarah's and Matthew's eyes got this big around, like, what is fixing to happen? And all of a sudden, that elf just, just took off and almost touched both of them, and they were screaming and yelling, and it was funny, absolutely funny. I think Matthew even started crying. He's scared of the elf now. He won't go near it. <laughs> um, but you know... We teach Sarah and Matthew to believe in Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen. And we teach them to pray to Jesus Christ and him alone. And we have never told them or insinuated to them that Santa is God or was God. However, I will tell you this. One mention of a phone call to Santa Claus, they will move with lightning speed to clean their bedroom. You ought to try it. It really works. Very interesting. And don't judge me because you know you've done it too. <laughs> Amen. I've always encouraged my kids to use their imagination. That's one of the reasons that I call Matthew Batman. I went to pick him up from daycare one time and I said, come on, Batman, let's go. And the teacher said, did you just call him Batman? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And about the time he'd come running up, Hulk, Hulk, calling me Hulk. And I said, I encourage my children to use their imagination. And I think it's great that we do that. But if you ever sit Matthew down and you ask him, and I, and I made a video, but I didn't have time to get it to Christian to upload it, but of Matthew. And I asked Matthew, I said, Matthew, who is the greatest superhero in the world? And you know what his response is? Jesus Christ. And I said, why is that? And you know what he says? Because he's the only one that can save the world. Amen. So is it really such a bad thing, parents, that we allow our children to use their imagination? To believe in a man that, who brings gifts, but they don't ever get to see, because one day we're going to expect them to believe in a God who sent his son to die and be the ultimate gift that they can't see? Is it really a, such a bad thing we allow them to use their imagination? I teach my kids to use their imaginations. It's, people, it's kids and children with imaginations that change the world. It's because they're weird. And when you look at the people that has changed the world, it's all the, weird, the kids that grew up weird. 
Matthew will sit for hours in his room and play with Legos, and he'll have this conversation with three people that ain't even there. And I just think it's amazing, because I was the same way. Let them use their imagination. But obviously, don't teach them that Santa's a god. We know that. It's okay. It's okay. Is it really that bad? I don't think it's that bad. So my, my, I want to say, quit being so critical of everything Christmas. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 2.12, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, church, so to me, as a born-again, Holy Spirit-filled, Bible-loving preacher who is saved by grace, I celebrate Christmas with my family, not because of the presents that are under the tree, but because of his presence in our home. Amen. You can make Christmas about anything you want, but as for me and my house, we make it about Jesus. So can we get on with the get on? Can we quit yelling about other people who celebrate Christmas? I mean, why is it at Christmas time is the only time we want to rise up and let our voice be heard? What about the rest of the year? What about the, the people? Where's the, where's the outcry for the abortion clinics? Where's the outcry for the drug addictions and the people that are homeless? But yet we want to cry about Christmas? Come on, church. We can do way better than that. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to... If you celebrate Christmas, praise God. I'm going to come and see what's under your tree and see if my name's got one on it, okay? <laughs> so don't invite me. <laughs> and we do put out cookies and we put out milk. And it's okay because we don't worship Santa Claus. We worship Jesus Christ. And you can make Christmas whatever you want it to be. And we know that Jesus Christ was not physically born on December 25th. But that's a day that was chosen by men in the church in generations in times past that we decided we're going to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And it's not the day that is important. It's what happened that is important. So I wanted to point out some good things about Christmas before I move on. Um, Christmas is a time when families come together. We share gifts with one another and appreciation for all that we do for each other. Christmas is a time that moms and daughters spend time baking cookies and cakes. Dads and sons are putting up lights outside. And here in Texas, you can even cut the grass on Christmas. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's warm enough. There's hot cocoa and marshmallows on every counter. There's laughter, there's joy, there's funny stories. You know, we talk about each other. We talk about the loved ones who've gone on to be with the Lord and we talk about the ones that are here, all the, the neighbors, and most importantly, we think about our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's who I want to talk about this morning, is our Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you brought your Bibles, open them up to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel, and you can keep your Bibles open here because that's, we're going to be there the, for the, the remainder of the sermon, in Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2. Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 1, verse 18 through 19. The birth of Jesus Christ. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
And here's what I want to say about that. It takes a lot of faith to believe that your girlfriend got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, come on, guys. How would you react today if that happened to you? I, would have had a, I personally would have had a few questions. I would have been like, Emily, what have you done? And who is this Holy Spirit guy? Because I've got a few words I want to tell him. Could you, could you imagine how Joseph felt? I don't believe Joseph knew the Holy Spirit at the time. And although the Holy Spirit was there in the beginning, he really wasn't made manifest until the book of Acts in the upper room where he fell like fire in the upper room on, on the disciples. Um, Satan has always attacked the truth of the virgin birth. Because if he can attack the truth of the virgin birth, then everything that Jesus did in the future was done in vain. He's always attacked the truth of the virgin birth because he does, if he denies the person and work of Christ and the truth of the Bible, then everybody else is going to deny it. And that's what he thinks. And Joseph, he was having a hard time with this. And rightfully so. You know, I would have had a hard time with this too, to be honest. Doesn't matter uh, what time era you lived in or what century you lived in. Things like this just didn't happen. Just magical, uh, not magical, but this incredible, miraculous conception. And, then all the, and, they, and she expected him to believe it. That was the crazy thing. I just couldn't imagine what she was thinking when she had to come and tell Joseph what was happening. Joseph was having a hard time. He was having such a hard time that God had to send his angel to speak to Joseph. Amen. But it settled Joseph down. But we have to also admire Joseph's immediate obedience when God spoke to him. That he understood, okay, this is real, this is legit. God spoke, the angel spoke, she's really, um, he, she's really pregnant. And I want to look close at a couple things this morning. Uh, two things. Um, people who won't always understand your call. And number two, just because you can don't mean you have to. So let me explain. Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That was her calling. She was created for such a time as this, and nobody understood it except for her, not even her, her soon-to-be husband, Joseph. When God calls you to do some things, people ain't always going to receive it. They're not always going to understand it, but that doesn't mean you don't do it. People around her, the, the, the people that lived in the town, they ridiculed her, they lashed out at her, they, they called Joseph out that he should have done what the law said he could do. And sometimes when God calls me to do things and, and people don't understand it, it's kind of an, odd, an awkward situation. And when God calls you to do something, you, you do it regardless of what anybody else says, what anybody else does. And my point is that if God called you to do it, God will see you through it. Amen? If he called you even if you have to stand alone. And if he brought you to it, he will bring you through it, just like he did with Mary. So how many people do you think understood Noah when God told him to build an ark? Nobody. They didn't even know what rain was. Nobody understood it. And just like God brought Moses to the banks of the Red Sea, and he brought them through on dry ground, he had the, the Egyptians were behind him tracking close, getting in. They could hear the footsteps, the beat of the horse coming in just to just annihilate the Israelites. And they, at a point in their life, they needed an absolute miracle. And God parted the Red Sea and allowed them to go across on the dry land. Well, he did the same thing for Mary. 
Mary was on the banks of her own Red Sea. The law of being stoned to death of, of, because of for her infidelity and unfaithfulness and everyone who ridiculed her because they didn't understand her calling were behind her. And they were closing in and the pressure was strong. But in order for her to get to the other side, she needed a miracle. Amen. And God showed up and he showed out. Amen. He's seldom early, but he's never late. That's what I love about God. He's seldom early, but he's never late. And he, what he did and what God did is he parted the Red Sea in Joseph's mind of, of not understanding, of doubt, of disbelief, of anger, of bitterness, of how could this happen. So he parted the Red Sea in Joseph's mind and enlightened him on the truth of his virgin bride-to-be, that what was now conceived inside of her was just as she had said, a Savior, who will one day redeem all mankind with his precious blood. So the word uh, redeem, uh, I kind of did a little study on it. Deem is something that you state. It's something that is a fact. It's something that happens. Um, Re means it happens again. So God wanted to redeem us back to original place with him. If you, if you ever get a chance, it's, it's, there's a lot to that. I would encourage you to do a, a word study on redeem. But the other thing I said is just because you can don't mean you have to. Number two, because, and according to the law in Deuteronomy chapter 22 um, through uh, 23 and 24, Joseph had every right according to the law, to have Mary stoned to death and this mystery man, the Holy Spirit, stoned to death as well. He had every right, according to the law, for being unfaithful. But Joseph didn't know at the moment is that the Holy Spirit, and just because the law says you can condemn somebody for their sins, don't mean you have to. Amen? And I think we could all take a lesson from Joseph, and before we let our knee-jerk reactions against somebody's sin cause us to plant both feet in our mouth, let's take some time and pause, and let's be like Joseph. Let's think about this for a minute. Because some, the words that you speak, you can't always take back. The words that you say to people, you can't always take back. He could have said some nasty things to Mary, and he would have never gotten to take them back. So let us be careful. Let's take a lesson from Joseph in this. Let's ponder some things. Think about some things. Just because you don't understand, it doesn't mean it wasn't orchestrated by God. Because we are not God. There's been a lot of things that's happened in my life that I didn't understand. But that doesn't give me the right to cast judgment or to judge other people. Amen. And if you have, if you have condemned someone for something they've done, especially if God has already forgiven them, then shame on you. That's between you and God. So you should repent. And I want to look at another miracle this morning. And it's one that we know about, but don't always talk about all the time. So read with me in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. Verse 20 through 21. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I've had so many conversations about the miraculous conception of Jesus Christ. I have a, 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 I have a plethora of 
people at work that have different beliefs, believe it or not. There's some Church of Christ, there's some Jehovah's Witness, there's Catholics, there's Baptists, and, they, and for whatever reason, we've all kind of conglomerated together different times during the week in each other's cubicles, and we talk about doctrine and scripture. And it's amazing the different beliefs that everybody has and the different thoughts that they have about the miraculous conception. And even the non-believers, it's hard for them to either, even fathom that this could even happen. Amen? And, but you'd be amazed at how many people just don't understand it. So let me show you a few things real quick as to why that Jesus had to be born of a virgin and why that was the only way. Amen? And what we see as a miracle here in Matthew's gospel was because of something that happened 4,000 years prior when Adam and Eve sinned. When Adam and Eve was in the Garden of Eden, they were one of two people, Adam and Eve, other than Jesus Christ, were the only people in the world that were ever perfect at one time. They didn't know sin. They didn't know sickness. They didn't know bitterness. They had no sin upon them. And when Satan come in and he deceived them, and this has everything to do with why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. And when Satan came and deceived them, and tricked them. You know, Eve didn't, it's understood, she probably didn't really understand what she was doing, so she sinned with her eyes closed, but Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. And what gets me about the sin that they've committed is that it never is it recorded that either one of them asked God to forgive them. Neither one of them asked God, you know, we've made a mistake, forgive us. And so what happened is because Adam and Eve committed this sin, they deemed all mankind to death. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So after they sinned, every, they had children, Cain, Abel, and then Seth. And the children bore on their flesh the sinful nature of the flesh. So every man and woman that is born from Adam and Eve into the, all of eternity has on them this sinful nature of the flesh. And so God looked down at Genesis chapter 6 and he said, oh my gosh, what have I done? The hearts of men are continuously evil. I got to have a plan. So I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to flood the earth. And that's when he called Noah and told him, hey, I want you to build an ark. And in Genesis chapter 7, God flooded the earth. And it rained for days and nights until every, all creation was destroyed. And, and when we get into talking about baptism, we'll see that Noah coming through the flood is, is symbolic for being baptized, coming through the water, coming through the news, being born again in a sense. But one of the things that Adam, that Noah, or two, one of two things that Noah and his family saw that nobody else saw. Number one, they saw the old world but they also saw the new world. And number two, even though God destroyed all flesh on the earth, Noah and his wife and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their three wives, all still had the sinful nature of the flesh on them. So that came into the new world. So now that we still, although God hit the reset button, we still had the sinful nature of flesh on us. And from that time... Onward, there was a thing set in place through the priests and through the uh, Levites that were set apart for atonement. And the priests would go in once a year and they would sacrifice animals for the sins of 
Israel. Okay? And I, was, I got to talk a little bit with Rabbi Ron about that, and they used to have bells on them and ropes around them because if they had sin in their life, then they would have to pull them out, and which was interesting. And that, then one thing I learned is that only one priest at a time for one year, that was the only time. That priest went in one time and then never went in again. And so he had to go in and make atonement for these sins of, of the people, right? So atonement theologically speaks of God acting in human history to reestablish the original relationship between God and man. You follow me? And by dealing with sin, to atone means to make amends or to repair a wrong. And biblically, it means to remove the guilt of man. The Old Testament atonements offered by the high priests were temporary and a foreshadow of the real and final atonement made by Jesus. Jesus atoned for the sins of the world, 1 John 2.2, and this atonement is only received by faith. So when Mary became pregnant, it was an absolute miracle. She had to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit because if she hadn't, flesh begets flesh, that which is born of um, the flesh is flesh, John 3, 6, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Mary had to have the virgin uh, be miraculously impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Because of, and I asked the question, well, how come Jesus couldn't have just been born of Joseph and Mary, and God just say, you know, I'm just going to use my divine holy power and make this guy God? Because it would have broke the law. It would have broke the natural process of the law that flesh, the sinful nature of the flesh. So Jesus had to be born of a virgin and because it would have broken the, the sinful nature of the man. But because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Spirit, and therefore he did not have the sinful nature of the flesh upon him. That's what is so miraculous about the birth. And this was the only way it could happen. It had to be, he had to be born of a virgin, because if not, what he did at Calvary would have been for nothing. And one of the things I think we forget sometimes is that although God, Jesus, was fully God, he was fully human. He was fully God, but he was fully human. Only a perfect spot-free lamb was able to atone for sins. John 1.29, when, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what Jesus did at Calvary could have only been done by him, but it couldn't have happened without a virgin birth. Now, when Jesus was eight days old, he was given the name Yeshua, Y-E, Yeshua, which is shortened from Yahashua, which is refers to Joshua. There's only two Joshuas mentioned in the Bible. Joshua that was with Caleb, and then Joshua the, uh, the king or the priest. And, and it was shortened from Yahashua, which means he will save. So eight days after Jesus was born would be the first time he would shed blood for his people when he was circumcised. And it reminds us of two important things, that our Savior Jesus is fully human and the circumcision was a foreshadowing of our Savior's sacrifice. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? 
for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. You know, Herod was such an evil man. He was just evil. And I believe it's in the, in one of the I think it's the book of Acts. I could be wrong. Um, he died because he was eaten alive by worms because he was so vile. He was such an evil king that he had all of his children murdered so none of them could take his throne. Almost 10 children. I know he was married almost 10 times. And, and what's interesting is that when Jesus was born, you know, we have this discussion about Jesus being born on December 25th. Well, how come it wasn't recorded? We read all the works of Josephus and everybody around. Why don't we have an actual date of when Jesus was born? Because they would have had to have registered. And once they registered the day he was born, the king would have found him and he would have killed him. And this isn't the first time this has happened. You go all the way back to the Old Testament and you watch Moses. When Moses was born, there was already an edict given by Pharaoh to kill every male child. The midwives were to kill every male child in the Hebrew camp because the Hebrews were so big and growing so fast that they were outnumbering the Egyptians. But they hid Moses until he was old enough and he started crying and squawking. And, and it, wouldn't that be nice if we could just give our kids to somebody to raise when they're like two or three? And then they give them back to us when they're kings and priests. Wouldn't that be cool? So they put Moses in a basket and they sent him down the Nile and, and you know the rest of the story. But they couldn't register his name because Pharaoh would have came and had him killed. But it, it talks about the wise men. The, these wise men were magi. They were oriental astrologers who studied the stars and sought to understand the times. They were Gentiles who had been especially called of God to come and pay homage to the newborn king. These wise men were both hearers and doers of the word. The visit of the Magi is an indication that the Gentiles will someday worship the king when his kingdom is set up on earth. Isaiah 60, verse 6. And their experience is a good lesson in finding the will of God. That Number one, they followed the light that God gave them. They followed the light that God gave them. Have you, are you following the light this morning? And number two, they confirmed their steps by the word of God. Number three, they obeyed God without question, and he led them each step of the way. Have you seen the light of Christ this morning in your life, in your family? Has he shown it to you and you have done nothing with it? Have you seen the light of Jesus Christ? It is only the light that will lead you down the path to salvation. And this is the greatest gift that was ever given, is the light of Jesus Christ. Pastor Paul did a study years ago on light and what it means, and he broke it down. And when he did, went back to the scientific side of things, he broke it, he, they broke it, the cells and the atoms so far down that every little thing in us is little light electrodes that flash. So we're all full of light. The light is in us. And a lot of the times we dim our light. A lot of the times we need to let the light that is in us just shine forth. And when God put that star in the sky for them to follow, he gave them away. God has given us away. He's put a light inside of us. And I know we don't supposed to, we're not supposed to follow each other. But sometimes as, as young believers, we have to follow people that have seen the light before we can see the light ourselves. Amen. And it's, the only, and it's only the, that light that will lead you down the path to salvation. 
There's a false light, but it's not as bright as the real light. So a stirring began as soon as Christ is born. Jesus had not spoken a word. He's not done one single miracle. He has not proclaimed a single word of doctrine. All he did was be born. But when he was born, you hear nothing but infant cries, and you can see nothing but infant weakness. Even still, his influence upon the world is made manifest from a child, from a, a newborn babe. There is infinite power even in an infant Savior. When Jesus is born in the heart, and there's only the smallest impulses toward righteousness and repentance, he makes a stir in your whole nature. And that happened when I got saved. I wanted to tell everybody. When that light came into me, I wanted to tell everybody. I wanted the whole world to know, everybody around me. And they, they called me a fanatic, and they told me, I was, you're too radical. And I'm, trust me, I'm not radical. You, Paul, the apostle, was a radical Christian, okay? The disciples were radical Christians, we, we can talk about it, but I don't think we are. But they, you know, when I wanted to tell everybody I could about Jesus Christ. And sometimes we dim the light that is in us. We dim that ferverness. We dim that excitement by getting caught up in the ways of the world, by getting caught up in celebrating things we shouldn't be celebrating, by getting caught up in everything we can except the light that is in us. Because you remember back when you first got saved? the excitement that you had when you ran around, you wanted to tell your mama and your daddy that were Jehovah's Witnesses and, and they looked at you like you were just stone cold stupid. That's what mine did. So I had to go learn about the JWs and I had to learn about the Mormons so I could be able to speak to my parents and understand where they're coming from. And sometimes that light that is in you will cause you to learn other things so you can help other people find their light. When Jesus is born in the heart, everything changes. Everything changes. And he makes a stir in our whole nature. And the reason, there's a constant war in our, in our spirit, in our heart, when we ask Jesus to be our Savior, because we, we've gone from complete darkness. Now all of a sudden we have this light that comes in, and it's a constant war. Light worn against the darkness that's in us. Darkness worn against the light that's in us. And the truth of the matter is a simple concept. The closer you get to the light, the farther you get away from the darkness. And the closer you get to the darkness, the farther you get away from the light. That's what in Revelations where it talks about, I wish you would be either cold or hot, but that you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Is because we wanted to have both the light and the darkness in our lives, and we don't want to make a decision. We want to be middle of the road. We want to have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And we want people to like us, but we want to love Jesus. And we're not called to be that. We're called to be sanctified. We're called to be set apart. Like Jesus was called to be set apart. That's why he was born of a virgin, Mary. And he makes a stir in the whole nature. And the glory, the hope of glory and a sacred revolution stirs within us. When Christ is born, he makes a stir, and it's wonderful to see how soon it begins to manifest itself within us. No sooner is there in his infant weakness a newborn king that he begins to reign. Even before he sits upon the throne, his friends bring him presents. They come from a faraway land, and they bring him presents. And his enemies plan his death. 
The plotting and planning of the death of Jesus Christ didn't just happen once he was born. Satan has been trying to destroy the bloodline of Jesus all the way back to Adam and Eve. You look out through history and you read the Bible and you see all the attacks of, of Nimrod and Nero and all these people that have come and tried to destroy the Jews and to break the bloodline of Jesus Christ. But, but God is faithful because he, he always keeps a remnant. And that's why Jesus is pure and holy. And Satan has tried to destroy this bloodline all the way back to Adam and Eve. There were two results from Christ's coming. Um, and there will always be. For the child is not only a savior to some, but also a stumbling block to others. His gospel is either a savior of life unto life, or it else a savior of death unto death. And for many of us, when we think about this gift that God gave us, as some of us, it's just too much to receive. It's just hard to imagine that a God that created the universe with galaxies as far as we never imagined would send and come into this world as a human, born of a virgin. In ancient history, we're told that Caesar had a friend that he once gave an expensive present to. But when he offered it, the friend said, this is too much for me to receive. To which the emperor replied, but it is not too much for me to give. After all our sinfulness and rebellion, God's gift of pardon through Christ does seem like too much for us to receive. But the riches of his divine mercy are so great that it is not too much for him to give. When God forgives, there is not one sin left unforgiven. When God forgives, there is not one sin left unforgiven. I used to wonder sometimes, laying in my prison cell, did you really forgive me, God? Did you really forgive me, Lord? And the answer is yes. Without a doubt, he did forgive me. But what I had to learn was there was consequences to my sin. And even though I had to go through some things to make right the wrongs, I was still forgiven. Amen? And that one thing alone impacted my life more than anything. impacted my life so much. When God forgives, there's not one sin left unforgiven. Christmas was indeed too great a gift for mankind, but it was not too great a gift for God. The main purpose for Christmas is that Jesus was born so that he could die for our sins. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget that Christmas represents salvation. It's easy to get caught up in the presence and the glitz and the glam, but always remember, Christmas is about salvation. It is God sending his son to save us from our sins. That is the message of Christmas. So as we wake up on Christmas morning, and as our children run to the tree to see what Santa has left them, let us pause for just a moment and remember the miracle birth and that Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen. One of the things I... I had, it's been in my heart, and I heard it in a message last night um, that I want to do for my children. Um, this year, I talked with my wife. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to give our children a spiritual gift. 
We're going to impart upon them a spiritual gift. And so through praying and, and understanding the talents and, and the ways that my children are, the gift that we're going to give Sarah, we're going to make her a plaque, a, a certificate. So she'll always have it to look back on. The gift that we're going to give her spiritually is we're going to impart the spirit of leadership upon her. Sarah's a leader. She's gifted. She likes to organize. She likes to tell people what to do. And she's good at it. I listen to her sometimes. She bosses Matthew around like she's the boss. And I see that at an early age, that she is gifted in that area. So I'll do things for her like Sarah. Go out and organize my tools, my tools in my toolbox. And she does it. She's really good at it. So we're going to pray over her, and we're going to anoint her to be a natural-born leader, and that God is going to raise her up. Charlie told me when I was 12, 13 years old that, Timmy, you're a natural leader. And unfortunately, you're leading people down the wrong path. <laughs> but we'll get, you, we'll get you set straight. And for Matthew, I had prayed and prayed since he was born for God to anoint him to be the quarterback for the Houston Texans. But look, in reality, I just don't think it's going to be it's going to happen because he's vertically challenged. Okay? Matthew is a teacher. Matthew likes the details. Matthew will break down every detail of every conversation and he'll tell you about them. He'll tell you about all of his superheroes. He'll tell you all his, all the powers that each superhero has. And for me, that's the same gift that I have for teaching is that I like all the details. So we're going to do the same thing for Matthew. We're going to make a plaque, or uh, not a plaque, a, maybe we'll do a plaque, but we're going to do a certificate and frame it, and then we're going to pray and anoint him as a, a husband and wife for the spirit of teaching, for that spiritual gift. And those things, they will carry to all eternity. Amen? So when you're going to, to Christmas, and when you're opening your gifts for your children, and, and they're all excited, think about what God would have you do for your children. My thought is if you, don't, you can't recognize the gifts that your children have, you probably aren't spending enough time with them. It is our job as parents to recognize that and allow them to use those gifts. But it's also our job as parents not to quench the spirit that is in them, because that's what happened to me. I was wild and rambunctious, and I, and I had a gift, but my mom and dad tried to shut it down just because it was a nuisance. So let us recognize the gifts that our children have and it's okay in the excitement for their presence and for his presence. And let us pray over our children and impart some spiritual gifts upon them. Because those gifts will be lasting a lot longer than the week after Christmas when they ain't even playing with the toys we bought them. Can we pray? Can we bow our heads this morning? The greatest gift that has ever been given is the gift that God Almighty gave mankind. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What a gift. He paid a debt that we should have paid. We owe him everything. If there was one person on this earth, God would have still sent his son, Jesus Christ, as a gift to die for you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is the gift 
of God. The title of my sermon is The Ultimate Gift, or The Greatest Gift, which is Jesus Christ. This is the only gift that keeps on giving. It's the only gift that once you receive it, will become in, in you a well of living water, a spring coming forth of all the goodness and all the mercy that God has for you. It's the only gift worth talking about. And it's the only gift worth sharing. Have you received a gift this morning? Have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Have you been born again into the kingdom of God? You can know for certain where you will spend eternity with a simple prayer. So I'm going to ask you this morning, not to come forward, but if you would like to receive the greatest gift that was ever given, your salvation, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Amen. Praise God. Everybody in here has received a gift. So now my sec the second part of my prayer this morning is, what are you doing with this gift that's been given to you? What are you doing with the gift of your salvation that God has given you? Are you telling other people about it? Have you put it on a shelf, closed it up in a book? Are you even excited about it anymore? The greatest gift is a gift that keeps giving. And the reason it keeps giving, because once we receive the light of this gift of Jesus Christ, of our salvation, we want to give it to other people by telling them about our life that were changed. Looking back at, at this past year, I'm reminded of the words of King David, the Lord is good and his mercies endureth forever. So I pray that this next year is filled with God's favor and God's strength. Hey, this is Christian Golden. I wanted to thank you so much for joining us today and listening to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd like to ask you to do a couple things for us. The first is to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date with everything going on here at LCC. Also, you can help us reach others around the world by investing today at lightchristiancenter.com slash give. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you and have a great day.